Well, friends, I was speaking to my younger son on the telephone this week, and when I told him that I was preparing or about to prepare my final sermon in full time ministry, he said to me, Dad, he said, that's awesome. (laughs) You had better make it epic. (laughs) Well, whether it's epic or not, only you can judge. But this morning is special, not only because it's my last service here at Linfield, it's special because we baptized Ethan and Isaac. Now, in this fellowship, we live with the, folk, uh, with the fact that some folk don't understand how you can baptize someone who is too young to confess their faith in Christ, while others can't understand just because they're young, small children shouldn't be part of God's family by being baptized. Well, we live with that truth, with that disagreement. Because the most important thing of all is that we all share a single aim, that one day Ethan and Isaac will come to know God as their father, their saviour, and their friend. That's the important thing, isn't it, friends? That's the important thing. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So, please, 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 will you come with me to Philippians chapter 1. Let's go straight to the Bible and remind ourselves of... um, Dorothy's reading, Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to look at verses 3 to 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. First thing I want you to note is this. Paul valued, loved, cherished his friends at Philippi. In the whole of the New Testament, his letter to the Philippians is the one that just just overflows with love and gratitude. He didn't have that experience with all the churches he founded, by no means. But with the Philippians, it was as close as it could possibly be. Now, why? Well, there are two reasons, and he gives those two reasons in the verses that I have just read. He talks about your partnership in the gospel. You see, these people had encouraged and supported Paul as he spread the gospel. They cheered him up when he was down. They'd stood up for him when he was criticized, and he was certainly criticized. They'd helped him materially and practically. They'd expressed their love in so many different ways. And that's why he loved them. I think of you, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Every time I pray, I pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. Because of the way that you've stood beside me and supported and encouraged me. And if I could just step into the great apostle's shoes for a very short time, 
I want to say the same thing about you. Why do I thank God when I think of you? Why do I pray with joy when I do pray for you as I do and will continue to do so? Why? Because you've done all the things that the Philippians did for Paul, you've done them for me. You've stood beside me. You've supported me. You've encouraged me. You've helped me. In so many different ways. And I want you to know that I'm grateful. Well, the second reason why Paul thanked God for the Philippians is not so personal, but perhaps just as important. Paul was sure of something. Whenever he was concerned or anxious about his friends at Philippi, he could put his mind at rest because he was confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It didn't matter how many times they disappointed the Holy Spirit. God was never going to give up on them. It didn't matter how rough and ready they seemed from time to time, how unfinished they appeared to be. One day, one day they would be all that God planned for them to be. One day, the masterpiece would be complete. And this is the message, friends. God is never going to give up on you and me either. Now, I have an American daughter-in-law, and I've been to America once or twice, and so our friends from Boston here will forgive me if I just use my experience of American folk to make this point. But the best theological teacher I have ever heard was in a seminary in the southern states, who said to his students, I'll tell you how to preach a sermon. First you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them what you told them, and then you tell them what you told them again. <laughs> and the best sermons have just one point. God is never going to give up on you or me. God is never going to give up on us. Got it? Don't worry that we make mistakes. We will go on making mistakes. Don't worry about mistakes. The only person who doesn't make mistakes is the person who never does anything. <laughs> Absolutely true, you know. It's wonderful to think that God will go on working in your life. But before he can make progress, actually, he's got, to, he's got to begin. And before we go any further, I want to ask you this crucial question. Has God begun his work in your life? Has he really begun? That may seem a strange question, but it's vital. See, so many folk think that being a Christian is about trying to be good. Now, you know I'm a grumpy old man. You know, by the, you know that by this time well enough. 
And I get cross when in answer to the question, how are you, the young people say, I'm good. I want to say, no, you're not, you're well, and you try to be good. (laughs) It happens in my life, and I dare say it happens in yours. We grieve the Holy Spirit in all kinds of ways. We have to ask his forgiveness. But being a Christian is not about keeping a score of how good you are so that at the end of your life you can qualify for heaven. It's about being a new person, having a new nature. It's about accepting the grace of God. Now, those of you who've been in Linfield will know that this illustration before, but there are one or two people who perhaps haven't heard it, and it's one of my favorite ones. A man arrived at the heavenly gate, and St. Peter said, now I've got, I've got to tell you that you've got to score 100 points before you get into heaven. You've got to tell me about your life, and, 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 and I, will, I will score you on, on what you've done. So the man said, look, I, I, I was married to the same woman for 60 years, and I never looked at another woman. Really, said St. Peter, you can have two points for that. <laughs> he said, and I was an elder of the United Reformed Church, and I never, ever missed an elders meeting. Really, said St. Peter, you can have another point for that. And I was a businessman, and I made lots of money, and I opened 40 homeless shelters for homeless men. Really? I'd give you another point for that. And so the man looked at St. Peter in in, in some consternation, and he said, I don't know, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. Absolutely, said St. Peter, 100 points, straight in. (laughs) The grace of God. Nothing you do will ever qualify you for heaven. Nothing I do will ever qualify me for heaven. Because our Saviour has done everything that is necessary. Being a Christian is about having a new nature. Being a new person. How on earth can you be a new person? Well, let me tell you very briefly, how it happened for me. I became a Christian when I was 19. I'd grown up in a Christian home. I believed in God. I even wanted to be a minister. I'd actually passed one of the hurdles on the way to being recommended to go into theological college. But I wasn't a new person in Christ. I wasn't. I was still trying to make myself acceptable to God, to overcome sin in my own strength. And then, in his grace, he showed me that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't make myself right in his sight. It was an impossible task. In any case, there was no need for me to do that, because he'd already done everything necessary to bring me home to himself On the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. It's done. It's finished. It's paid 
The ransom is paid. The debt is paid. You don't have to pay anything more. I've done it all. And along with countless millions of others, he'd meant it for me. All I had to do and all you have to do is to acknowledge your need of forgiveness and take the gift he offers, eternal life. What matters is not what I have done or what you have done or failed to do, but what he has gloriously succeeded in doing by dying in our place and bringing us into his family as adopted children. So, has God begun his work in your life? Whoever you are, from wherever you've come, dear friends, don't go away without closing with God, without knowing that you belong to him by grace, through faith. At the end of the sermon, we're going to have an opportunity for people to make a response, but more of that in a little while. Now, I spoke of the single aim we all share, the prayerful prayerful hope that Ethan and Isaac will one day accept Jesus as their saviour. So today is a kind of beginning for them, isn't it? They've been admitted into God's worldwide family, the church. And we pray, of course, that they will grow, surrounded by nature, uh, nurture, faith, and love, both at home and in the fellowship of the church. And they'll come to discover the reality of God's love. And then they will confess their faith, please God. And that, too, will be a kind of new beginning. We're made new people and given new natures when we admit our need of forgiveness and accept Jesus as our saviour. And we hope and pray that Ethan and Isaac will come to that point. But that's not the end of the story. God's work goes on, doesn't it? It begins, but it goes on in spite of the fact that sometimes we fail to cooperate with him. We grieve the Holy Spirit, but he never, ever gives up on us. You know, there are people in this congregation this morning who've taught me this so much better (laughs) than I could teach you, actually. There are people who've come to me at points in my ministry when I really thought it was time to throw in the towel. There's one person here who at one point just took me in his arms and looked at me and he said, Charles, there's only one way, onward and upward. And that's the message, too. It doesn't matter how rough and ready we seem to be at times, how unfinished and raw at the edges, how many times we think it's time to throw in the towel. God is never going to give up on us. One day, the masterpiece is going to be complete. The only real failure, you know, friends, is to give up trying. You know that, don't you? One day, it's going to be complete. It's a lovely word, complete. It carries with it a sense of finality, of achievement, of some great purpose. Paul could say, I thank my God every time I remember you, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, although I still have one Thanksgiving for marriage and one actual wedding yet to conduct, after this afternoon, I shall officially cease to be your minister. I hope you know that I shall be more than happy to offer whatever care and counsel I'm able to give as long as there's breath in my body, but 
When I was a theological student, a very wise teacher said this to me. Charles, he said, the ministry is a constant succession of letting go. A constant succession of letting go. And that's not easy. It's intensely difficult, in fact, to sever pastoral relationships which have been built up over years. But it's got to be done. And before very long, the process of appointing a new minister will begin. Indeed, it started already. And the last person to be part of that process is little old me. In a very real sense, I shall be yesterday's man. I've been at this point before, but in the past, of course, when I've laid down responsibility for one congregation, I've always had another waiting to fill the gap. Not so this time. How am I going to cope with that? How am I going to stop myself worrying about Josh? (laughs) How am I going to stop myself worrying about the elders and the worship leaders and the junior church teachers and all the other wonderful people, the finance committee, especially then? How am I going to make sure that the people in Linfield are going to behave themselves? Who is going to control all those retired ministers in the congregation? And you've got to be very careful about retired ministers, you know. Well, there's one wonderful answer to all those questions. I shall be able to thank God every time I remember you because I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You are sons and daughters of the living God, not because of anything that I or any other human being has done, but because of what God has done. It is he who began a good work in you. It is he who will carry it on to completion. Usually I try to avoid cliches in sermons, but let me break the rules just this once. Everything I've been trying to say this morning is summed up by describing us all as works in progress. And there's tremendous hope in those words because they allow us to cope with the fact that sometimes the progress is very slow. I remember just after I got married, the minister who married, who who actually took part of the service, had a, a sort of acerbic sense of humor. You know, he was always saying things that he thought were were funny, but, well, anyway. (laughs) And... um, I arrived at the, at the door of the church hall where, or the village hall where we were going to have our reception and I was still in my wedding togs. And he looked at me and he said, haven't you had time to change? So I said, no, 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 I haven't had time. Well, at least you might try to have improved. <laughs> and I didn't sock him one right. <laughs> Sometimes the Christian life seems to be very slow in its progress. Sometimes we, we seem to be making no progress at all. But we are all works in progress. So never, ever lose hope. God is never going to give up on you. One day, one day, God will finish his work. Think of that. No more temptation. No more regret because of sin. No more spiritual warfare. 
No more unanswered questions. No more misunderstanding God's purposes. No more grieving the Holy Spirit. And when we realize just how much he loves us, it's the pain of knowing that we've grieved him that hurts most of all. All that will be over. His work will be finished. And let me say this too. I know that there are people in this congregation who are carrying real burdens. Sometimes when you meet and greet old friends, you get good news and sometimes you get bad news. And your heart goes out to them. And you think, what can I do? It doesn't matter what I can do. It's what he can do that matters. Because he's with you every step of the way, you know. And you're never going to face a situation in which you're alone, in which he's given up on you, in which he's turned his back on you, in which you are friendless and abandoned. He's not that kind of guy. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And if during that process there's pain to suffer, he's going to be there with you. I have suffered very little pain in my short life. But I can tell you that the prayers of God's people have supported me and blessed me and carried me through. And at every turn, God has been there. And he'll be there for you. He will. Because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Trusting God to finish his work. I might be tempted into thinking that today I have finished my work. Well, you know that nothing could be further from the truth. The years ahead for me and for you are full of wonderful opportunities for sacrifice and service. And I know that like me, you're just raring to grasp them with both hands. But in doing so, we have this glorious assurance. One day, God's work will be complete. 